This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luca Levitz Mabler. And I'm Yannick Mangan. And what's the topic for this week, Yannick? Three weeks with PlayStation VR. Ooh. Yeah. But before we start, I think you have some follow-up. Yep. So Mary Kondo Mania continues. <laughs> uh, on episode 105, we talked about the KonMari method, and I mentioned some of the weird things that I had seen in the meta commentary around her show and the daily beast uh published an article called the racist backlash against marie kondo of netflix's tidying up which basically sums up the entire thing as being like white people really don't like to be told what to do by an asian woman which makes total sense uh, i'm not going to go on too much about that but if you're interested you can go read that article which which will be in the show notes Next up, breaking news from today, on episode 82, we talked about Nintendo Mobile games, and a little later after that, they announced Regalia Lost, which is an action RPG that came out a few months ago and still isn't available in Canada for God knows what reason. Uh, but maybe we'll never actually get to see it in Canada, because it turns out that Nintendo and Sci Games have sort of this unfortunate reality, which is that Dragalia Lost is doing very poorly, and if the current trend continues, it will, like any day now, be unable to cover its own operating costs, which means it will probably shut down soon. Oh no! Yep, so uh, apparently if the latest estimates are accurate, uh, it made $300,000 last month, which is not a lot uh, for a mobile game, and not looking good for Dragalia Lost, which is unfortunate because I have a few friends who are playing it and they're loving it, but I might never actually get to play it because it never came out here and I'm too lazy to switch to my Japanese account. Maybe I should switch to my Japanese account just so I can play it for like a week before they shut it down. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a good idea. Yeah, I might do that. And that's it for my follow-up. Good. I want to start off by talking a little bit about my own personal history with VR and maybe you could jump in. I think you have no experience with VR. Uh, you... I'm about to say yes. I think you are correct. Wow. Okay. Um. Did I? I think I might have. No. I don't. I don't think I've experienced it personally. I just saw people use it. But interesting. Yeah. You need to come over someday and yes, play oh, with yes. my stuff because I have uh, quite a few games that use it, and I'm sure we can find something you'd be interested in. <laughs> uh. So I've used VR twice before owning the PSVR headset. Uh. I got to try rigs. You may remember this because we talked about it on the show. Uh. Two years ago, December 2016, uh, a few months after the launch of PSVR, I got to try out rigs at a PSVR booth next to an airport gate at the Toronto airport before I was going to Japan, uh, which was a really weird experience. Uh, the game was unfortunately not very fun, but the demo was interesting enough to sell me on the idea of VR as a platform for games nonetheless. And it was the first game that really made me think of the challenges that are inherent in designing for VR that aren't apparent when you have no hands-on experience. Uh, one of the things that I found really interesting about Rigs uh, was that it's a game where you uh, pilot a giant mech. And they made the cockpit of the mech basically more or less the same as the layout of the DualShock, so that if you moved a joystick on the DualShock, you saw the same joystick moving in the same place inside the giant cockpit. And it was really nice to have that visual feedback that matched the actions I was doing Albeit, like, I was doing it with my arms on the screen and on the screen, and I was doing it with my fingers on the thing. But still, it was, like, close enough that it actually did the job well. And then last summer, I did something that uh, you might be jealous of, which is I played Mario Kart VR for the VR? HTC Vive. Yeah, I don't think we've talked about this on the show, and we should have, because this is a big thing that we really loved. So Shannon, Marie, and I uh, went to Lazona Mall in Kawasaki, which is the 
uh, this is a pro tourism tip for anyone who is listening. Uh, there are many like VR arcades all over uh, Tokyo and Japan in general, uh, where you can basically like pay per hour or whatever to go into this arcade. And then you have to pay again for the games on top of that. Uh, if you go to Lozona Mall in Kawasaki, the Namco arcade on the top floor, you just pay the fee for the game. You don't have to pay for entry to the arcade itself. So you can just like pay five bucks and go play Mario Kart VR and that's it. You don't have to pay like 20 bucks to play Mario Kart VR like in other places, which is pro tip. Uh, but yeah, Mario Kart VR is really interesting. It's for the HTC Vive. You might be saying like, why is Nintendo making PC games? Uh, <laughs> the answer is technically it wasn't developed by Nintendo, which is going to bring up even more question marks to people. Uh, but you have to remember that uh, in Japan, Mario Kart Arcade exists and it is developed by Namco in partnership with mm. Nintendo. And this is the same deal. So Mario Kart VR was developed by Namco for the HTC Vive. And it's really cool. You race on uh, a little go-kart. They had the steering wheel and everything there, so we didn't have to like use a controller or anything. And we use the Vive motion controller on one hand because the way you use power-ups in this game is really interesting. There are balloons floating all over the map that have the power-up boxes inside them. So you just pull the balloon down while you're going past them, and then you're holding it, and then you can press the button on the uh, motion controllers to actually... Uh, engage the item and then you can like throw a green shell in whatever direction you want or throw a red shell onto the map and it's really interesting we had a lot of fun doing it we were racing like there were four player spots and there were three of us and there was a stranger racing with us and we were trying really hard not to like miss aim our shells to always hit this other fourth person (laughs) because we didn't want to like gang up on them Uh, but unfortunately sometimes we just missed and we hit them anyway but was a very fun experience and it kind of ruined me for uh, Mario Kart because now I think it's hard to make a non-VR Mario Kart game that can compete with that level of fun that I had. So, Ooh, interesting. Yeah, it was a really good game and it makes me kind of sad that Nintendo is not, or at least not yet, seemingly exploring VR. Uh, so I've always been curious about VR as technology, but I didn't really want to buy in until actual games were available for it. Uh, the PSVR game lineup at very early felt more like glorified tech demos and that wasn't really what i was interested in Uh, i had considered buying a headset around the time that gran turismo sport was released because that has a vr mode but everyone said the vr mode was underwhelming and we'll be talking a bit more about that later and one of the games that i was really looking forward to was ace combat 7 ace combat 7 was announced about a year before psvr was announced and a little later i believe they announced that ac7 was going to be available in vr and that became the big vr game i was really excited for because it's a dogfighting flight simulator and you can do a lot of crazy shit in a plane in vr that you're never going to get to do in real life and like even like compared to gran turismo like you can potentially go fast in a car in a way that is similar to what you do in Gran Turismo Sport. Whereas Ace Combat 7, like, I'm not going to be doing flips with a plane anytime soon. I'm not that crazy guy uh, in Alaska that took uh, stole a plane the, <laughs> last year. Like, uh, I am just a normal person, and it's unlikely to ever happen. And now I get to experience these things within my headset and not die, which is the bonus. Which is the bonus? Yeah, yeah it is a... a... Good bonus, to be honest. Yep. So when Ace Combat came out, uh, the reviews of it were really great as a standalone game outside of VR, but apparently the VR mode was really, really good as well. So that made me more interested in picking it up. But that also made me think of my grandpa. So 
my grandpa loves flight simulators. And every once in a while, he'll ask me if anybody has made any good flight sims for the Mac recently, which even if they did, they probably wouldn't run on his iMac because it's pretty old. Uh, but in the rare case that we get one at all, he's usually going to reject it due to not matching all of his Byzantine criteria, which is, I mean, like now you know where I inherited that from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it seems to be a family trait yes. yes uh and really all he wants is a game with easy controls where he can fly over real world cities and like it's kind of like software development you can only pick like one of those <laughs> to be true at, at once and besides all of that shit went out the window after 9-11 when basically the entire flight simulator business got thrown into the trash can and never seen again Another thing is that my grandpa is really fascinated by the concept of new technology while not quite understanding what these new technologies are actually capable of. <laughs> so he knew that virtual reality was a thing, but he didn't actually know like concretely what virtual reality was. And I thought it would have been a neat opportunity to combine his love for flight sims and his curiosity for technology by showing him Ace Combat VR. And on top of that, my grandpa's health has gotten like noticeably worse in the last year, so I wanted to have him try it before it was too late. If something was going to happen to him this year, I didn't want to regret not being able to show him VR while I still had the means to. So that was kind of like the extra push I needed to pull the trigger on buying PSVR. Otherwise, I might have waffled around a bit more, and in hindsight, I'm very glad I did buy it. So I want to start off by talking about the setup experience. There are a lot of cables and a lot of dinguses <laughs> in the box. Yeah, it seems quite complex. Yes. Uh, and luckily, there is a quick start guide that numbers all of the cables and tells you what goes into what hole. Uh, it wouldn't have been really that complicated to figure out on your own, probably. But it's nice to have the documentation there. Unfortunately, one thing that is not in the quick start guide is where the fuck the power button is. Uh, like the PS4 what? itself, there is a power button somewhere on the headset that you need to find, and it is not written anywhere in the manual. Like, if you, if you don't know where to look, you will never find it. I spent literally 15 to 20 minutes finding the power button on this thing, and I found it by accident. Uh, so that was kind of weird. Uh, Cable management is a pain point. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a tweet that I posted this week where my Roomba almost yanked uh, the PSVR headset off of my gaming setup. There are just cables everywhere. Like, I already had a bad cable situation before, but now it's just, like, two times worse. Uh, and what makes that even worse is that the cables in the box seem to be exactly the minimum length you would want them to be, and no longer than that. <laughs> Oh, it's like if Sony was screwing with you. It, yeah, it's really not great. Um, another thing that's not quite great about PSVR when it comes to the hardware is that it permanently uses two of the three USB ports on your PS4 because you have one USB port that is used for the PlayStation camera and there's one that's used for the actual processing box that PSVR uses. Uh, and what I personally would have liked to see is since the processing box is powered, I would have liked to see a pass through USB port on the processing box itself for the camera, because right now I have to do a lot of cable juggling because I also have an arcade stick that I use semi-regularly and I have my uh, multiplayer headset that which is always plugged in at all times. And it's kind of tricky to just like juggle all of those things when PSVR uses up two thirds of the ports. Next up is sort of an audio complaint, 
which is the headset has a 3.5 millimeter jack on board uh, that you can use with the included earbuds. And unfortunately, like it's hard to use headphones with the headset on because the headset is has some thickness, which is sitting behind between your headphones and your head, which makes them loose and move a lot in game. Uh, ideally, I would have liked to use my multiplayer headset, my Astro A30, uh, but really it just flops around on my head while I'm trying to play and it's not ideal. And I also prefer it because it's much more sanitary when getting other people to try PSVR to actually like wear a headset, which is also because it flops around on their ears is also letting them hear me talk to them while they're in VR uh, instead of blocking everything out with earbuds, which is eh. that part could have been better. I will try to figure something out maybe with like on ear uh, like headphones or something that I can get sort of a compromise because right now it's the audio situation is not great for my setup. And I think that was one of the, I wouldn't say the main complaints, but one of the complaints that PSVR had since its launch is I think people were saying it's hard to get a good audio setup out of it because of that. And also kind of the, the one that they are included are not like the, the earbuds are not really great. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. I should also note I have the second generation P- uh, PSVR. Uh, I had forgotten that there were generations of PSVR until I took it out of the box and realized that it is the new one. Uh, so this is the one that does allow you to do pass-through uh, with HDR and stuff on PS4 Pro, which is not relevant to me because I have a base-level PS4. But it's cool that I have it in case someday I get a PS4 Pro, although I doubt I will. Um, so now I'm going to go through every single game that I have that supports VR. And we're going to talk about each one because each one has interesting things to talk about. And I have a lot of variety in my lineup. Uh, so there are a few games that I had already and just happened to have VR modes. And then there are games that were bundled with my device, uh, which we will get to near the second half of the episode. So let's start out with the, like the whole reason that I got this thing, which is Ace Combat 7. Ace Combat 7 is an aerial combat flight simulator from Bandai Namco. And it has a distinct VR mode, which has its own set of three missions that is completely detached from the regular campaign. It's based on the storyline from Ace Combat 5, which coincidentally happened to be remastered and given away with pre-orders of Ace Combat 7 on PS4, uh, which was really cool. And one of the things I sort of dislike about this VR mode approach is that the VR mission, because there are only three VR missions, the difficulty ramps up quickly. And sort of my hypothesis for why this is the case is that I think it was intended to be played by people who have beaten the main campaign already. Now, I should point out, this is my first Ace Combat game. So I'm struggling to actually get through the main story missions at the start of the game where I am. And then to have these VR missions be more or less the same as the end of the game in terms of difficulty is kind of a struggle uh and i got lucky and i beat the first one but the second one is kind of nuts uh so i'm still only like one third of the way through the campaign i got very close to beating the second ace combat 7 uh, like it it has a good vr mode i think like if you like the actual base game of ace combat and if you're like me and you mostly play in first person mode like pretty much the same except you're you can look around which is great One thing I think is really cool is that this game, more than any other, actually makes me feel like I'm moving when I know I'm not moving. And uh, the part where this is the most apparent to me is 
uh, at the start of the first VR mission, but I, I guess this is technically how all three missions are, uh, is that you come out of the, uh, of the, uh, airplane hangar and you go onto the runway and you're like rolling down it very slowly. And it feels exactly the same to my body as when it's happening for real in an actual plane, except I'm fully aware that I'm sitting on this seat in my living room that is not moving at all. And like, that was my first experience, uh, after putting on the PSVR headset and actually like booting up a game. And I was like, whoa, this shit is crazy. <laughs> uh, and like when you're taking off, like it's hard to feel exactly the same as when you're taking off in a real plane, obviously, but your mind gets fooled easily. And this is one of the great things about VR is it is surprising how little it takes for your mind to be fooled by these things sometimes. Um, also, just the very fact of being like a crazy flight simulator game and the fact that I'm not very good at this game means that sometimes I have no idea how to maneuver the plane to actually be effective during combat. So I just do like crazy loop-de-loops and shit to try and <laughs> aim at the goddamn enemies. Uh, and I like... what One thing that's cool about the main campaign when you're not in VR is they actually like have this... Uh, 3d flyover of the entire map and you get to see like the, your little tiny plane go over and do all these little loop-de-loops and it takes like seven and a half minutes for it to draw the loops that i do in the air because it's so stupid what i do uh but yeah the, the same thing applies in vr uh i i will admit that if you're crazy like me you may get motion sick at times uh i have to push it pretty hard to actually get near motion sick but it can happen if you're insane like me and again i I suppose if you're actually good at this game, you're not going to be insane like me because you're going to be actually killing things and not just turning in circles trying to kill things instead. This game has the thing, has something which I would like to call the demo problem. And I guess technically this applies to many of the games. Uh, but I feel that until VR becomes a mainstream thing, VR games sort of have a responsibility to help sell VR to people who are skeptical or on the borderline by having a relatively short segment of the game that's meant to serve as a kind of demo that you can show to your friends who come over, which is probably what you're going to do at some point. I was about to say, that sounds like us in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, and the early PSVR game lineup was very good at this because they were basically that. They were more tech demos than they were games like the batman vr game is basically like you dress up as batman and then i think you do like a very short flying segment and that's about it like it's not even really close to being a game uh and one other thing that was really great about that early psvr game lineup is that none of those games if you could call them that had very execution heavy controls uh, which is great. So you could just like hand the controller to someone who wasn't even a gamer and they could sort of get the feel of the demo and get it. Um, but as a downside, if you were the person who was an early adopter of PSVR during those days and all you got were $60 glorified de tech demos, you felt pretty bad about your purchase because you didn't really have anything to enjoy during that time. Where Ace Combat 7 sort of fails is that this is one of the more impressive experiences to demo to people, but it doesn't really have any of those points. So there's a free flight mode in the game, but it only unlocks after you've beaten the map, uh, beaten the mission once. Uh, and because the difficulty of the missions is rather high from the get-go, you might not actually have the free flight mode unlocked for that mission when you want to demo it to your friends, which kind of sucks. Uh, as an added bonus... 
Ace Combat 7's easy control scheme is disabled entirely for VR games. What's interesting about the easy controls is that if you go read tweets from the Ace Combat developers on Twitter, it feels like they don't really like the fact that the easy controls exist at all. And it feels like they were forced to add it into the game rather than something that they actually wanted to put in the game to begin with. So I kind of understand that they pulled it from the VR mode because like, they felt more strongly that this was only going to be enjoyable if you actually have the full experience. But at the same time, like, like they 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 bashed one of the reviews of Ace Combat Seven because the person who played the the game to review it only played with the easy control scheme, and then they complained about the controls, and they were like, "Yeah, but you shouldn't play on easy controls if you're going to buy our game." And then I'm I'm like looking at the street and saying, "Well, why the fuck did you put it in the game then?" Uh, so yeah, uh, but because. Ace Combat 7's controls are complicated to begin with. You want to actually give players a safe space in which they can experiment with the controls without necessarily being worried about needing to dodge missiles from enemy ships. Uh, so for me, like the remedy to this whole issue is they should have put the first stage in free flight from the get-go. And then they could have kept the other two lo- maps locked until you beat them in the story mode. But just to have like something you can go in to get used to the controls or just fly around for fun as a demo it would have been a great thing to see um but it's just not there and maybe they want you to go play the non-vr game but that's i mean like, it's not reasonable to tell your friends who are coming over to try vr get used to the controls in this non-vr place first and then we'll do it i should point out the first minute and a half to two minutes of the first mission there is absolutely nothing around you that can kill you unless you like literally nosedive the plane into the ground so you do have like some area to like just be amazed at what's happening around you and that seemed intentional but that's it after those that minute and a half two minute intro like you're done and there are missiles flying towards you at all times uh for another like 15 minutes or whatever so that's kind of my issue with Ace Combat 7. But as someone who is playing the non-VR mode and occasionally puts on the headset and goes try to do the second VR mission, it's super fun. It really lived up to my expectations uh, of what I wanted Ace Combat 7 in VR to be. And I'm really happy that it's that. Uh, and I'm happy that I waited until this game to get PSVR. Okay, next up, we're going to talk about a game that we both really love, question mark, or at least we were we, <laughs> we were criticizing it originally, and then we got around to loving it, and that is Gran Turismo Sport. Uh, I would put maybe an asterisk on that statement, but sure. I, I would like to just know that you are still playing it, and I'm not. Right, and now I'm playing it even more in VR. Um, hmm. So there are three modes available in VR. Uh, I should point out, we did an entire episode about Gran Turismo Sport, although the audio in that episode is quite terrible, so I know like, a few of our listeners actually decided to skip it, but I will put a link to that in the show notes if you want to go back and listen to it, where we did a whole podcast from within the game. Uh, so there are three modes available in VR. There's race, there's time trial, and there's showroom. So race limits you to one opponent car. So I guess technically it's still a race because there's an opponent, but it's not a very thrilling race. Uh, time trial obviously leaves you on your own, save for the ghost of your best lap. As far as I can tell, the reason that you're limited to one opponent car is just because it was too taxing to render more than one car and maintain high frame rates. So 
there you go. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Showroom lets you uh, virtually walk around any car in the game, including those you own with custom livery patterns. This is great. Uh, I go a lot on, um, I don't even know what it's called, but basically like the Gran Turismo version of Instagram. And you can just go download various cars uh, that other people have pimped out. So I have a bunch of cars with anime characters on them. And now I can just like go walk around them in like a virtual garage and admire them, which is really cool. Uh, it doesn't have very much long-term value to you as a player because once you've seen your car, you're like, yep, I've seen the car. Uh, but it's kind of cool, to be honest. So th- the main race mode, uh, obviously you can only, uh, I mean, your only camera option is to be behind the cockpit, which is generally not how I like to play. Uh, I generally play on like, I don't even know what it's called, but the first person cam, that's kind of like a hood cam, uh, I really, really like that camera for all the racing games. I think it's called the Udcam, to be honest. Maybe. I don't know. I, I'm not an expert in this department, but I really love that camera because it makes me feel like I have the best visibility on what I do. And when I'm behind the cockpit, I feel like I'm further away from the track. Uh, and like the actual percentage of the screen that is used up by the track relative to the rest of the cockpit is like half or less, let's say. Uh, so I, I don't like that view as much. In Gran Turismo Sport, no choice. You have to be in cockpit view. Just kind of unfortunate. It means that you have less visibility on the actual track during doing that. However, what's great is Gran Turismo loves to accurately recreate cockpits. So I can go take a, take a lap or two in Ducadivi's car and admire the same infotainment system that I have known to love in his car. I would like to note that my car is not in Gran Turismo Sport. Okay, well, they all look the same from the interior anyway. Yes, 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 yes. yes. But it's the Focus ST that is in Gran Turismo Sport, not the RS, sadly. Same thing. They're all American cars. They're all bad. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, I can go hop into a Subaru and admire the beautiful, basic, no-frills cockpit that that has. I'm mostly messing around. Um, but yeah, like you can go do the interiors. I have thrown around the idea of doing parody car v- review videos where I just review the cockpits of various cars. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That would be funny though. I would it like would to be see really that. funny. I, I would just be like, hmm. Uh, another thing I've done is I've just gone, uh, I primarily play on the Tokyo Expressway courses at nighttime. And I went into the track like I usually do, but in time trial. And I was just like stopping in the middle of the track and looking around because I can do that. And like y- you don't have as much like flexibility with regards to looking around the track while you're in game in uh, non VR. Like you have photo mode where you have more flexibility, like a lot more flexibility of where you're looking and all that stuff. But it's completely different to actually do it from within your car which is really cool. However, this game has made it immediately clear to me that dark content has a harder time disguising the lower resolution of the PSVR headset compared to bright content. So, like I said, primarily play Tokyo Expressway at night. It is a track I know very, very well, and I really love because it gives me memories of when I was on the Tokyo Expressway in real Tokyo. Uh, So I, I go there a lot, and... I really like to play it at night, but yeah, that that's just the issue is uh PSVR headset has a low resolution, which you generally notice, 
but it feels extremely noticeable when it's dark. And I think it's just like where your shifter would be and all that stuff. There's like a column of what your HUD would be basically where it tells you like your lap time and uh, your current gear and uh, like the gear you should be shifting to if you're nearing a turn and all that stuff. I find that incredibly hard to read on dark tracks, whereas in light tracks, it's easier to read. Not sure if I'm going crazy. Uh, also, like just looking at the cockpit, it just feels blurrier when it's nighttime compared to daytime. Most uh, of it is blurrier or out of focus? Not out of focus. It feels blurrier just because of the low resolution of the okay the so headset it's really, display. Okay, because sometimes uh, the reason why I'm asking is sometimes, uh, especially when I go see 3D movies, and I think that's where it's the most. Uh, the place I see it the most is really like you see with the 3D effect they put on movies on certain movies that if you don't look where they want you to look that you can rest of the scene uh shown on screen is kind of blurry like kind of uh, not blurry but uh, out of focus yeah kind of to let you believe that it's because you should look there and it's going to simulate your kind of out of focus of your eye or the lens but uh I would I wouldn't be surprised that VR would do that artificially. Oh, I I should mention another thing. Uh, they do say that you can wear PSVR with glasses on. I usually take them off. Um, so now, like the other critique you can make is like, well, maybe your eyes are just fucked up. That I already know, by the way. <laughs> but the problem was like it was getting to be complicated to do like with the glasses on. And the headphones and all of that stuff, it just became like crazy. And I, I just felt more comfortable taking the glasses off. So whatever. It's just a, a matter of comfort, not a matter of needing to do it. Um, so th- that, there's that asterisk. Like it is possible that it's just my eyes, but I, I don't think so because I think I would have noticed it equally on bright content. And generally I feel like my eyes are blurrier when looking at bright content than dark content. So. Whatever. Uh, do you have any questions on Gran Turismo Sport? Since I know this is probably the game you're going to care the most about. Um, not really. I, I think at this point, it, it seems that it would be nice to like. I feel from what you described that it is still good enough to it to to be worth it. Uh, but seems it seems right now that it would be the only game I would play in VR. And since I don't really play GT Sports too much these days, that it wouldn't justify the costs. Um, it feels to me, I think maybe it's because we're still early in the VR lifetime. But like you've always been talking about, like it's the second game we're talking tonight about, yeah. and it's already like the VR mode, the VR mode this, the VR mode that. It's not like the game this, the game that. So we will get to that in an upcoming segment. Uh, but I need to get all the VR mode games out of the way first. <laughs> oh, okay, that's good because like that's where it, it loses me, right? You were talking about like. Do I want to pay like 60 or even 80 Canadian dollars to get like in a VR mode yeah. out of a game? Or I want to pay $80 to get a game? And that's where it kind of loses me right now. Yes. But, but in general, Gran Turismo Sport, like I feel if you're spending the money just for the VR mode, it's definitely not worth it. But if you bought Gran Turismo Sport and you have it and it happens to have the VR mode, it is a serviceable VR mode. And it's fun to have. Like I, I'd rather it be there than not there. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't be a good enough standalone. And I guess that's why you started with the Ace Combat 7, because it feels 
uh, I understand from what I understood is it feels that this game it is worth the eighty dollars if you want to have it only for VR purposes. Mm, I wouldn't necessarily say that, but it is oh, okay. the closest of all the games with VR modes I've played. Okay. Okay. Okay, so the next game is going to be Tekken 7, which oh, this this one pisses me off so much. So uh, Tekken in VR. Ooh, <laughs> wow, okay, that's quite interesting. Yeah, so if Tekken, for those who are not aware, it is a very popular martial arts fighting game series from Bandai Namco, and it is the most underwhelming of the non-VR games I already owned with VR modes. Uh, so there are two modes, VR Battle and VR Viewer. However, VR Battle is kind of... Mm, a dubious name for what exactly they put in there. Uh, so yes, you can fight against the CPU in this mode, but there's a catch, which is that unlike every fighting game released since Street Fighter 2, neither character has a health bar, so no one ever wins or loses. It's like a practice or training mode, but with none of the complex options from those modes. And there's just no point in playing it other than like looking around the map. Uh, you can't even play against another human opponent because only one person is wearing the headset, so there's no multiplayer options at all, which is kind of stupid for a fighting game. And there's one map, no map choices at all. It is a super boring map that takes place <laughs> in, like, a starry night, and there is jack shit on the ground. Like, there is absolutely nothing to do in this map that is interesting to look at, and it's really just a shitty tech demo with absolutely nothing else to do. Yeah, <laughs> and it's that- super disappointing. That literally feels like we needed to check the box about we have a VR mode and then we check the box and then uh, with the least amount of effort we could do. Pretty much. Uh, <laughs> the worst thing is Tekken 7, well, the Tekken games in general have very interesting maps occasionally with destructive environments. Like if you knock someone against the wall enough, the wall will fall down and sometimes you open up another portion of the map which would have been really cool to see in VR, except you just literally have the worst map on the entire game in VR mode and nothing else. It's kind of amazing. There's even like, uh, there's a DLC, uh, which is Tekken Bowl. You can play bowling in Tekken with all of the characters. Bowling? It is fantastic. Yes, it's the best. It's one of the best things about Tekken 7. Uh, and I'm like, why isn't Tekken Bowl in VR? Like, at least that would have been fun. You could even have the PlayStation Move controller to do the thing. Like, it would literally just be Wii Bowling at this point, but at least it would be like with Tekken characters and cool, but no. <laughs> so the second mode is even worse. It's VR viewer. All this lets you do is spawn a character model in the middle of this like rotating gradient of colors and inspect it closely within VR. Like the most interesting feature about VR viewer is you can also view your customized characters with the custom clothes you've unlocked during the game. But that's it. Like, that's literally all you can do in all of Tekken 7 is you can play this shitty battle mode with no point at all or look at the VR costumes and that's it. <laughs> so this resembles the kind of showroom mode of country. Yeah, yeah, it's showroom mode with people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the only reason to be somewhat grateful that this exists at all is that it's one of the two Unreal Engine 4 games that Bandai Namco put out on the PS4 uh, with PSVR before Ace Combat 7. So Tekken 7 is really like their first experiments with VR on PSVR. And then Summer Lesson came out a few months after that, which is a completely different game, but still Unreal Engine 4 uh, and also available in VR. Summer Lesson is actually like a sort of semi-dating sim that you play in virtual reality, which is actually kind of intriguing. It's not as 
perverted as it sounds, but but it is kind of. Um, <laughs> and then there was Ace Combat Seven. So those were like the, and I think there were some Idol Master things. So I guess technically there were more Bandai Namco games, but this was really like the first experiments, and it shows because it's not very good. So now we get to this portion, which is VR modes suck. Uh, as you can probably tell about how I spoke about the last three games, most games with VR-specific modes that offer only a subset of the full-fat non-VR experience aren't great in VR. Uh, Ace Combat 7s is the best amongst the three games we've talked about, but you can only play three missions and none of the 18 regular story missions, and offline multiplayer is con- is entirely off-limits as well. Uh, now, of course, you'd be at a disadvantage against non-VR players if you were playing online multiplayer because the non-VR players could use a third-person camera and have a lot more information about what's around them, but still, it would have been cool. Uh, at least, like, just matchmake against other VR players or something like that. Gran Turismo Sport, it only makes the single-player arcade features of the games available to you, which is really strange because the main focus of Gran Turismo Sport is online multiplayer events, and none of that is in the VR mode. Uh, players complained about a lack of simulation mode content at the launch of Gran Turismo Sport, and while they eventually gave us a minimum viable product version of what we wanted outside of VR, none of that is in VR. And then Tekken 7 is an absolutely fantastic fighting game that isn't even really playable as a fighting game in VR, which defeats the entire purpose of having the game in VR in the first place. So I want to compare and contrast this with uh, two other games. So let's start off with Skyrim VR. Skyrim VR is a full conversion of the uh, the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim for virtual reality. The game originally came out in 2011 on PS3, Xbox 360, and PC. And this is a huge game with huge, vast worlds and hundreds of hours of content that is fully available to you in VR. Then you have Resident Evil 7, which is a full 10-hour long Resident Evil game that's completely playable from beginning to end in VR, and according to players, is actually better in VR because the levels and enemy AI were tailored for how different people's behavior are when they play horror games in VR compared to non-VR. So I want to be clear here that I'm not necessarily advocating for either of these approaches. I'm not saying VR non-VR games should be ported directly into VR, nor am I saying that games should be designed with VR in mind first and then shipped on non-VR as well. But I think it would be nice to see more full-length game experiences in VR instead. So now we're going to talk about the games that were actually developed specifically for VR. Are you excited? I am, because I think that some of them could be a possible reason to, for me to get PSVR. Uh, it's funny because on the current time, I have a small tangent here, but it's it's going to be quick. But uh, one of my good friends also also got a PSVR and I did not went to try it too. So I think I might have multiple opportunities to try a PSVR in the next few weeks. And I'm eager to also uh, hear from, from him about uh, what he thinks of uh, PSVR. Cool. So the uh, the bundle I got for my PlayStation VR is apparently like last year's bundle. So I don't know how long this bundle will be available, but it's probably the best bundle you can actually get for PSVR uh, of all of the ones that have been released so far. And it came with Astrobot Rescue Mission and Moss. Uh, it also technically came with the Playroom VR, which is a free downloadable game as soon as you plug in a PSVR headset to your console, which is kind of a VR version of the Playroom, which was the pack-in game for the launch PS4s. And there are demo discs as well, which are ironically also available as downloads on the PlayStation Store. 
Uh, so let's start off with Astrobot. This is going to surprise a lot of people, but Astrobot Rescue Mission is one of the best 3D platformers of all time. And it's like a cross between Super Mario Sunshine's mechanics and Super Mario 3D Land's camera and level design. So this game was sort of born out of a popular minigame in the Playroom VR, uh, which, as I said, included for free with uh, whenever you plug a PSVR headset to your console. It's a collection of mini games that were... I mean, some of them are okay, but like the only one that was actually the standout in this entire disc was, I think it was called Rescue Mission, where you basically were this little remote-controlled robot that had to go rescue your little robot friends throughout this platforming stage. Uh, and you can play the whole thing in the Playroom VR, and they've patched it since then to say, if you like this, you should probably buy Astrobot because it's like literally 25 more levels of this. Uh, so it's really cool. And what's awesome about this platformer is the Nintendo-like integration between the game and the hardware features that are available. Okay, I have a funny story. Remember, just before we started recording, I told you, oh, I want to finish a video. And hmm. it was uh, John Lilliman? Yeah. On Digital Funny. I was uh, I'm a bit late on my Digital Funny video, so I was watching his Game of the Year and Game, like his, the, his 2018 Games of the Year. And that game is part of his list. Yes. And it was also on my Life in Gaming's list. And I was kind of watching, I think they kind of did uh, like four, three or four minutes. And I was quite intrigued by it. I think it was quite clear compared to the other games he put in his list, the kind of the the lower the lower visual quality that PSVR is because you saw it in the video. But it was quite funny that the only game you mentioned, and now you're mentioning it, kind of was like, ah, oh, looks like quite fun, interesting, and well-made VR game. Yeah, one of the caveats I do want to say about watching footage of PSVR games on videos is that. Uh, the way the images are rendered is specific to the headset. And then when you're capturing what's called the social screen, uh, which is like what you see on your television screen while you're playing a PSVR game on your headset, uh, that is basically like the image for the headset that is undistorted. Like it's, it's warped back into like a, a rectangle, which means that it's even lower resolution than what you actually see in the headset. So, hmm. like, it looks even worse in actual, like, footage that you see on YouTube than it does in the headset. It actually looks better in the headset. And, of course, you're missing out on, like, the 3D depth effect and all that stuff. Yeah, that's kind of what I've, I've assumed, too. Like, uh, I think the I would have the same effect that when Digital Friendly, again, they kind of did a video about their uh, act switched to get HDMI output, but at the resolution that it runs. Uh, with the internal screen, that's kind of the the effect it gets when you get the like low res video on bigger screens. You kind of look, like they really look worse than the way they look on the lower resolution screen itself. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, uh, Nintendo like integration between game and hardware. So what do I mean by this? Well, of course you're controlling you're remote controlling a robot, and funnily enough, your remote for the robot happens to be DualShock 4, which is visible at all times, even in the menus, uh, just by moving it around. And the light bar on your uh, DualShock 4 is used to track its position relative to the PlayStation camera. And then they use the gyros and all that stuff to actually make its movements move your movements in the real world. If you press a button on the DualShock 4, you see it light up and you see a finger press on the actual button in the game, which is cool. 
Then there's head tracking. Uh, so not only can you just like move your head around to actually look around the map and all that stuff, but occasionally there are obstacles that you need to bash with your head to actually be able to continue to move forward. Uh, and then there are world specific gimmicks. Uh, so like in world one, uh, there's the touchpad, which like you get this hook that's mounted to your touchpad and you can swipe up on the touchpad to shoot a hook to whatever is in front of where your dual shock four is pointing. And there are various hook points on the map that you can hook to. And some. so one of the things you can do is you can hook to something and pull on it by pulling back on the DualShock 4. Or uh, if you have a, a hook link done already, your robot can jump onto the rope that's linking your controller to the hook point and use that as a tightrope to walk between places. So like that's one world-specific gimmick. In World 2, you have... Uh, the gyro in the controller so at the end of the controller you get a water gun that gets installed there and your robot goes onto a plant platform and then you have to water the plant to make it go up so you can actually uh, get to the next platform and stuff like that so each world has a gimmick like this which is taught to you over multiple levels uh, and the final boss is basically a mastery check to see if you have mastered that particular mechanic and I assume that probably the last world is going to bring them all together into the same uh, world and cause a bunch of trouble for you or something uh, but it really gives you the same joy that a Nintendo game would give you and like th the real takeaway that I wrote in this uh, section of my notes is that if all of Sony's first party games were this good Nintendo would be in serious trouble luckily for Nintendo they are not all this good this is kind <laughs> of a fluke but like if I recall correctly, this game is also made by the Japanese side of Sony, too. Yes, it's Japan Studio, which is the same people who gave us Gravity Days, which is, uh, or Gravity Rush in the US, which is one of my favorite open world games of all time. Uh, so they, they do a lot of good stuff. It's just that they don't release games very often. And sometimes they kill the consoles that they're supposed to launch on before they actually release the games, like was the case with uh, the Vita. So, yeah. So Astrobot Rescue Mission, definitely like the top VR game for me. And this is why, like I say, it's probably the best bundle you can get is that like a bunch of people agree that this is the system seller PSVR game. And if you can find a bundle where it comes with the hardware, like you just hit the jackpot. So the other game that came with my PSVR headset was this game called Moss. Uh, this was not a physical disc. It was a download code, but still good. Uh, and it is a puzzle platformer of sorts involving a mouse called Quill. She has a sword and she swings it around sometimes. The introduction to the thing is it's an entire story that takes place inside of a storybook. And what's interesting is that your uh, DualShock controller in this case is treated kind of like a PlayStation Move where it re represents like your ability to pick up objects or uh, manipulate objects in various ways. So the R2 button on the remote is used to interact with various objects and the way this is taught to you is you have the storybook where the story is being explained to you and you have to turn the page by holding the corner of the page and pressing the r2 button to flip it and all that stuff and then eventually you realize that there are just objects on the map that glow that you can interact with by using that same r2 mechanic so you you control both quill's own movement by moving around on the map and the wisp of light that represents you, you are technically called the reader because you're reading the book. Uh, 
And yeah, you manipulate glowing obstacles to get her where she needs to be or heal her if she takes damage. Um, this game is irritating because it has the least satisfying controls of all of the games. Uh, Quill's movements are done like any other third third person platformer would be via the dual shock. But because you're treating manip- uh, you're manipulating objects via the dual shock, it's very weird and fiddly. And I think the reason it's fiddly is because the PlayStation camera's field of vision is smaller than you'd like it to be. And you also have no idea where you are in relation to the PlayStation camera when you're wearing the headset. So the camera can lose track of where your uh, controller is if you just go too far off the field of view. And then it just warps randomly across the map. And when you have to constantly be manipulating objects on screen it's frustrating to just reach over to try and manipulating an object and then you're like oh shit like my my cursor flew all over the screen and i have no idea where i am anymore and it requires a lot more deliberate play it's very frustrating and to be honest this can be an issue in astrobot as well but it's only in very specific portions of the levels and it's much more integral to the gameplay in Moss than it is in Astrobot. You can generally get by in Astrobot whereas in Moss it is literally the only thing you do the entire game is manipulate objects and move with the uh, with the analog sticks so you notice it far more in that game. Unfortunately for Moss uh, it's linear and story driven with little there mechanically to keep me stimulated and sort of my conclusion for this game is that It seems very well executed as a game, but it's just not what I look for in a video game. But if this sounds like something that is interesting to you or you need something that's slower paced, then it's probably going to be great for you. It's just not what I want. Okay, next up, I'm going to like completely blow your mind. We're going to talk about YouTube. YouTube? Yes. Uh, So applications, unlike games, have two distinct runtime modes on uh, PS4. There's the normal mode and the VR mode. There's, oh. Yes, and there are a handful of VR cinema applications available on the PlayStation Store, although they all seem really weird and by companies that are probably not going to exist in six months, uh, as well as the Media Player app, which lets you load arbitrary VR videos off a USB drive and watch them on your PS4, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, you can go download the YouTube app and boot it in VR mode. I don't actually know like what the implication of what this actually means to developers is like my theory is that normal mode because if you actually know how uh, the ps4 works the entire ps4 dashboard is an html5 application uh and like the youtube app is an html5 application normally what i suspect is the vr mode sort of takes you into a native application that is written specifically like in whatever high-level language they're developing PS4 applications in, just to have more access to VR stuff. So unfortunately, the YouTube app does not have any VR-specific UI. Like um, on Android, there's the Daydream VR interface you can load for the YouTube app, which is far more usable in VR than the regular smart TV app UI. Uh, Unfortunately, this is literally the same UI as any smart TV or internet-enabled set-top box with the added advantage of being able to view 360-degree videos, which are featured more heavily in the navigation of this mode, but is otherwise exactly the same as regular YouTube on Smart TV. So, yeah, you can go in. Uh, 
this is pretty much exactly the same as if you had like uh, Google Cardboard or whatever, uh, and you decided to go on YouTube and look at 360 degree videos. It's unclear to me if YouTube doesn't support 3D 360 degree videos, or if it's simply a case of nobody uploading them because they're harder to capture and there's just not much of an audience for them. Uh, I tried finding a video that is both 360 degree and 3D, but I haven't ever found one, which limits a lot of the appeal because you're looking at basically like this flat sphere around you that is showing you an image. And it's not quite as interesting as all of the other VR content you can engage with on PSVR, which is 3D. Like you can get a feeling of depth, uh, which is lacking from YouTube. But still, it's pretty nice to be able to have that option available to you because if all you've been able to experience with the 360 degree videos is just like turning around with your iPad in like a fixed spot or something. It's not the same. It's much cooler if you can actually wear the headset. All right, next up, demo discs. Demo discs are back, baby. Actually, I'm shocked that this is even a thing (laughs) because now we can just go onto the PlayStation Store and download demos for arbitrary games. Like it feels like such a weird relic of the old days that we have demo discs again. But alas, there are demo discs. Each PSVR bundle every year comes with a demo disc holding a handful of game demos from that year. Uh, There are currently three different versions of the demo disc. Uh, All of them are downloadable for free on the PlayStation Store, which is great. And I have played like three demos of recommended games that my friends on Twitter told me to go check out. So the first is uh, I'm going to talk about is Thumper. Uh, Thumper is a game I've been interested in for a really, really long time because it's a music game and also because it's technically a rhythm horror game, which is not a genre you hear a lot about. Rhythm horror game? Yeah, it's like a music game, kind of like uh, Guitar Hero, but with one lane instead of the five for the five buttons. Uh, uh-huh. So basically, like you only press X or go left and right on uh, the stick. And there, I think there are a few other mechanics that add that get added later on, but they're not in the demo. Um, but yeah, it's just this really dark game with very awesome lighting and you're this like metallic beetle that has to press X when you land on a thing that has a light on it, uh, or has to swerve into different lanes when the map changes on you. And then at the end, there is a boss, which is a giant scary monster, which is the horror part of the thing. Like, I I was like, what part of this is supposed to be scary until I saw the boss? And then I was like, oh, the bosses look terrifying. That's why it's a rhythm horror game. Uh, Luckily, if you are weak with horror stuff like me, you can just look down and not look at the boss and everything is great. Um, But yeah, it is. It looks absolutely stunning in VR. It is a really immersive experience if you are into music games. That is not a particularly hard experience, I would like to say, if you're a longtime music game fan. But it looks really cool, and I would definitely like to buy this game eventually. Um, I was already, like, one of the main reasons I haven't bought Thumper until, well, I still haven't bought it, but one of the main reasons I haven't bought Thumper is I said, I'm saving this for when I get PSVR because it's going to be awesome in VR, and it really lived up to my expectations. Would didn't quite live up to my expectations was Res Infinite. So Res Infinite is an adaptation of Tetsuya Mizuguchi's popular rhythm rails shooter Res. But for VR, uh, your aiming is done with head tracking for your lock-on reticles. And this is another game that's meant to be an immersive musical experience. Uh, unfortunately, I find this game doesn't actually control as well as the non-VR version of the game. Uh, which is kind of strange because... 
uh, Rez, you're kind of in a fixed position anyway, mostly, uh, due to the fact that it's a rail shooter. So you really, all you can do is lock on to various things and shoot them. But like, there can be things behind you, which means you have to like turn your head to look behind you. And I felt like that was uncomfortable. Maybe I'm just like not supposed to play it sitting down. I don't know, but it feels awkward to me in a way that the original wasn't. So. I mean, I'm still interested in playing around with the new content they've added in Res Infinite, and I'm probably going to buy it anyway because I'm not always interested in playing the PS2 version of the game that I have when I can play it in PS4 in high definition. But I was expecting more out of this remake than what I got from the demo. Uh, then I played the demo for Headmaster, which was one of the games that I knew absolutely nothing about until my friends told me to try it out. And it's a comedic game where you try to hit soccer balls with your head to hit various targets. Uh, and this is actually pretty fun. It's also like kind of funny because sometimes you can do things that cause the soccer ball to have a bomb on it. So sometimes there are explosive soccer balls that can do weird stuff. Uh, sometimes you need to like, you have a field full of like big moving boxes in front of you and you have to like, destroy as many of them as possible and then when you have the explosive soccer balls then it goes even faster because it blows up obviously uh the only note i have about this uh which is kind of a negative is that because you're moving your head so much it's tricky to play with the loose headphones that i have because your loose headphones are going to be flying all over the place it is just going to be very floppy in this uh game and it's not particularly comfortable to play. However, I imagine that if you have the included earbuds, it's probably just fine. Um, but yeah, always a note to take into consideration that is specific to my setup. So I haven't played that many of the other demos on the disc. Uh, what I find really strange is that, uh, if you have, if you play the demo disc on the actual disc, like there's no problem. The entire game demos are on there. Although, the demo discs get patches, which is strange. Uh, and if you go with the downloadable versions, uh, occasionally it will just ask you to download the game before you play it. So it's not actually on the demo disc image. It's a downloadable add-on to the thing you're playing, which kind of sucks because you show up to your console. You're like, I'm going to go play this demo. And you have like 45 minutes and then you press the button and you have to wait half an hour for the goddamn demo to download. And then you can't play the demo because you have to go. Uh, so kind of weird experience there. Uh, but I mean like demo discs, what the fuck? Like, can we just do individual game demos and forget about this? Like we, nobody was reminiscing for demo discs really. I think, I guess it's just because they wanted something they could include with a bundle, but really like, mm. Yeah, I'm not sure why they didn't use just coupon codes or like just just having the game on all the CD. That's that's okay. If yeah. they really wanted to include the a Blu-ray demo disc of it, it's especially weird because like Moss, which is included with my bundle, is a download code. So it's kind of strange. Like if you're already doing one download code, you might as well just make them all download codes. Whatever. So now we're getting to the conclusion. PSVR is incredibly impressive considering the hardware they're dealing with, especially with regards to the base PS4. Uh, I have a couple uh, friends who have gotten PSVR headsets, and they've all been equally impressed. Uh, I have a game developer friend who says that he's constantly impressed with Sony's ability to milk results out of hardware that technically shouldn't be able to perform as well as it does, uh, notably with the PSVR and PS4 Pro, and I agree with both of those. Uh, having the biggest install base has benefited them 
exactly as we predicted back when we were recording our episodes about like speculating about what would happen with PSVR uh, because it has the richest game lineup of all of the VR headsets thus far, which is great. It's super exciting to see where things will go from here for VR in general, but also for PSVR. Although I'm a bit concerned about how many big budget games are left to be released on PSVR because technically there is an upcoming generation of consoles that might be around the corner, which is kind of weird. I don't know if VR is going to be on the table at all for PS5 or for whatever the next Xbox is, Xbox 2. <laughs> so to be continued, I guess. Uh, and one thing that is notable that I haven't mentioned on this episode is that there are games with primarily PS Move controls, and I sadly don't have a pair of them, so I can't play them. Uh, one of the games I would really like to try is Super Hot VR. Do you know Super Hot? No, but I, but first of all, I thought the Move were included with the PSVR. Not all bundles. There was a bundle oh. at launch that had them, but the newer bundles just have the PS camera and not the Moves. Mm, okay okay but and no i don't know what is this game okay so super hot on like pc like the base game is this interesting first person shooter with a really cool aesthetic where uh the map is completely grayscale objects you can pick up on the map are black and all of your enemies are red and basically you just like pick up the black objects and try to kill all the red guys with them and time only moves when you move so you can think about the situation by analyzing it and then say, okay, I'm going to grab this bottle here, smash it on this guy's head, pick up this gun here, shoot this guy, shoot this guy, and then I'll pass the level. You can think about all of this while time is not moving, and then you can just do it, and it happens. Well, now imagine that in VR with a PlayStation Move. So this game requires two PlayStation Move controllers to even play it, uh, which I I don't know how well it's sold, but it's interesting that they would go that far. But it makes sense because you're you're not going to want to play this game with a DualShock. It really only makes sense if you can use the thing. But it sounds amazing, right? You can be like an action movie star doing various (laughs) scenes by picking up objects and smashing them on your opponent's head and all that stuff. Like It sounds like a cool action movie sequence simulator that you can do with PS Move Control. So I'm very interested in that game oh. because I think Super Hot in general, like the base game, is very interesting to begin with. And then to do that in VR, it's like, of course, this is the perfect VR game. So very interested. Uh, other thing I'm very interested in is I've never played an Elder Scrolls game. I'm super interested in trying out Skyrim. Uh, I mean, I would be interested even without Move Controls, but it seems even more interesting with Move Controls because now you're in this giant world and you even feel even more immersed in it because your hands are sort of mapping to your hands inside the game. Like, that sounds super interesting. The primary reasons I do not have, uh, or the primary reason I don't have a PlayStation Move controller is that it currently costs 200 Canadian dollars for a pair of them. Whoa. Okay, that's quite expensive. Yep. And, like, I love the idea of super hot VR, but... Considering you have to buy the $200 pair of controllers plus like the $70 game, I am not super thrilled about that. Um, So to be continued, I guess, like maybe someone will buy them for my birthday. Maybe it can be you. I don't know. Uh, But uh, get in touch if you want to buy me those controllers. (laughs) Uh, Is the price difference from the bundle that includes them and the one that does not include them? I mean, I I think there just isn't even a 
bundle that comes with PS Move anymore. Like, oh, I think it was literally okay. just at launch. Okay. So I do want to end this with one uh, small piece of advice, which is if you can wait for a bundle to go on sale, definitely do it. Uh, I did the stupid thing, which is they were on sale during the holidays. And then I waited until like two weeks after the holidays to buy my PSVR. And it was a very expensive. So don't be stupid like me. Wait for it to be on sale if you're not in a hurry to buy it. I was kind of semi in a hurry to get it. So I paid the price. And luckily I had a bonus before Christmas. So I could afford it. But if you're more budget conscious, these bundles go on sale relatively often. So be on the lookout. And you might be able to snag one for cheaper. And then, well, if you have extra money left over, you can buy the PS Moves and have the full fat experience. And that's my tip. Good. How much is the price right now in Canadian dollars? It came out to like 500 bucks for me for the bundle. Hmm. Okay. Still not cheap. Yeah. That's Canadian dollars for everyone listening. Right. But still, I think I would say like, like 349, 3.99 in USD. I don't even want to think about the exchange rate. I saw it the other night and I wanted to cry. I bought something on eBay and I was like, holy shit. I thought I was spending like a lot less, but there yep. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Was that it? Yeah. Do you have any questions? No, I'm quite... I think maybe you should have better plan this, but I'm quite busy these days. But I feel that I might we might have a follow-up episode or just a follow-up section later on where we meet and I just try it. That sounds great. Because... uh like you've kind of mentioned like all of the downsides you mentioned were mentioned by all the game journalists when it came out uh you played two most the most popular vr games on psvr i would say from the, the name you mentioned they kind of all kind of ring the bell at least meaning that uh some of the small like video game news that i follow are mentioning them i so, think the big omission is wipeout hd collection so if you remember the wipeout racing games that came out on ps1 uh, well i guess technically this collection doesn't have the ps1 ones at all but like the series that originated and got popular on ps1 they made a hd remaster collection and one day they just like randomly patched vr support into the game so now you can play three wipeout games entirely in vr uh that is a big title that a lot of people really like and i am super interested in that one as well but like i don't want to spend all my money in the first two months of the year so i'm taking it slow and i already have other gaming plans this year so maybe later this year i'll buy it but that that is like the big omission i can think of right now Okay, well that makes sense. Maybe later on uh, next uh, next year, in, during the year, we'll see. Yep. Oh, I I should probably actually give uh, the the conclusion, which is I did have my grandpa over and he tried Ace Combat and he thought it was super awesome. Uh, so that was cool. Nice. I, I, my grandma also tried it. She was impressed <laughs> by it, but not particularly as interested as my grandpa. And then my mom. Uh, she really gravitated towards Astrobot. She thinks this game is awesome and she wants to come over and play it more. And uh, it's totally understandable because I also want to stop recording and go play it more. But there you go. Good. Then let's do that. To find all the links that Enik mentioned during this episode, you can find the show note at limitlesspossibly.net slash 107. If you want to look at our back catalog of episodes, you can find it at limitlesspossibly.net. 
If you want to follow the news of this podcast, you can find this. You can find it on Twitter at limipo underscore podcast. That's l i m i p o underscore podcast. You can find also myself on Twitter at, at lukonoush. That's l u c c o n o u c h g. And you can find Yannick at Sakarina. That's s a k u r i n a. And you can also find me on Mastodon at Sakarina at icosahedron dot website. Oh yo 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 yo! I know. Finally did that. He finally switched to Mastodon. I, I guess with the outro, yeah, we had last weekend. It's not surprising, but sure. Yeah, but the funny thing is that the account was registered before that episode went out. Ooh. And on that note, see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.